it is a blessing to be here with you guys. Um, I've known Pastor Corey for about six years. Uh, we met in Pennsylvania. We've known each other in several places. We meet uh, two or three times a year during conferences and fellowships and things like that. And as we've gotten to know each other a little bit, our backgrounds are very, very similar. Although we're all unique, our testimonies have a lot of parallel. And Pastor Corey asked me if I would share a little of that, not so that you know about me, but that you know about how the Lord works so beautifully, uniquely, and yet uh, in similar ways in all of our lives as we are trying to figure out how to navigate our way through life until we get to the throne. That's where we're heading, isn't it? We're heading for the throne. And I don't know when that time will come, when we go around the bend, the last bend. I think it'll be pretty soon. Looking forward to it. But until then, we want to be found faithful in the season of life God has given to us. Amen? Well, my wife and I came to know the Lord um, relatively late in life. We were in our early 30s, and we got saved at the church that became Calvary Chapel of Merritt Island, Florida where Malcolm Wilde is a pastor, Mary Barrett was our worship leader, and we grew up spiritually in that fellowship, being involved in all aspects of uh, serving the Lord, because we figured if Jesus is real, and we tried a lot of other things first, if Jesus is real, we're going to test him until he proves himself to not be faithful. And guess what? He is faithful. He is faithful. And it, oddly enough, in 1995, when we were much older, the Lord called my wife and I to move from Merritt Island, Florida, where I was serving as an elder and going on short-term missions trips and just involved in the fellowship. Called us to move to Gainesville, Florida, a college town, and to start a church. I had no ambitions to be a pastor. I'd seen what that job was. But uh, God promises that when he calls, he equips and guides. And so he who calls is faithful, he will do the work. And in 1995, we moved to Gainesville. As Corey and I were sharing our testimonies together, we see so many parallels. And uh, after 15 years of serving there, we had a small, low-power FM radio station and uh, that we were trying to get up and running to kind of poke a finger in the devil's eye because there's a lot of stuff on the airwaves. But uh, we know that God's word wants to go forward. It doesn't return void. And uh, we had seen God build a small fellowship around us, stable fellowship. But it was a transient area, being a college area. And so we always seemed like we were transitioning with people coming in and going and helping to raise them up and disciple them. And many of them would move on. And uh, in 2011, uh, we passed the responsibility of the church on to a younger man who had come to the university to be educated and to move on. Uh, he became an assistant pastor to me, and now he is the pastor of that church. And the Lord is growing a wonderful work in a new season there. And uh, I was back there actually last week because there was a missions conference in Florida, and I had the privilege of going back to the church that I had the privilege of seeing found around me, and I hardly recognized it. It was awesome to see what God had done. And. Uh, in 2014, my wife and I decided that since we were going to retire, whatever that means, we would move somewhere pleasant from Florida, so we relocated to upstate New York. <laughs> because we knew the church fellowship, and we knew the fellowship of churches. And that's why we moved. We didn't move for weather. We moved for a spiritual purpose. And uh, 
the Lord has seen fit to continue to, in this season of life, use us in different ways. I'm not on staff at uh, Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes, but we're actively involved in the ministry. And uh, I've been going to China for about 10 years, uh, three or four times a year, ministering to the house fellowships there as I'm able. I don't speak Mandarin, but I do help to train the house churches and to be an encouragement to those that are living there as missionaries, lifestyle missionaries. They need visits and they need encouragement. And so that's what the Lord has given to us to do in this season of our life. Jane doesn't go. My wife is in the back row sitting next to Kathleen. Jane doesn't attend, doesn't uh, go with me, but she serves as a sender and she receives me back. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and there's a brochure and a newsletter and some information out there um, in your foyer area. Please pick it up. Pray for China. One and a half billion people, they need prayer. Uh, but the church in China is healthy and strong. I'm not here to share that. What I am here to share is God's word. And uh, I would like you, if you would, please, to... Uh, uh, we're going to look at the life of Philip, but I shared a little of my testimony and, you know, Pastor Corey's testimony. We all know that as we want to follow the Lord, there are bends in the road. You know that? Life with Jesus is not always a straight line, right? And very often the bends in the road are something we don't anticipate and we might kind of even freak out about or wonder, Lord, um, this isn't what I had in mind. Is this what you have in mind? What have I done wrong? What's going on? Anybody ever ask those questions? Whether we're very young in our walk with the Lord or whether we're a little older in tooth, you're going to find out that God's ways are not your ways. And what he promises, if we are following him, is to guide our steps. So in preparation for our study in Acts chapter 6 and 8, looking at the life of Philip, I'd like you to turn to a few scriptures with me. If you take notes, I'd encourage you to just jot these notes down, these scriptures down, and uh, consider what the Lord might want to be saying to you as we look at Philip's life. First place I'd like you to turn is in the Old Testament, in the book of, uh, in the book of Proverbs. Guys, you're going through Proverbs. It's interesting. Probably don't even have to turn there because I'm going to start quoting, uh, quoting from chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and you could finish it for me, couldn't you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, in all your ways, acknowledge him, lean not on your own understanding, and he will, what? Direct your steps. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And uh, that's a good place to start. And when we do, he does promise to direct our steps. That's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Turn back to David's writings in Psalm 37. Psalm 37. <laughs> Father, as we do look at your word, and as we do consider the testimony of one of your saints recorded for us, I would pray, Lord, that each one of us would glean from you the manna that you have for us this day, that we might not just be nourished and um, have done some spiritual exercise, but, Lord, you would feed us. And you would encourage us, and you would direct us, and you would help us to know, Lord, that you on the throne are leading and guiding every aspect of our lives, and may we be following hard after you until you call us all home. In Jesus' name, amen. I was praying about sharing out of Psalm 37, and I'm not going to do that, 
But let's read a few verses and then we'll turn to the book of Acts. Verse 3, chapter 37, David is writing, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When I didn't know how to approach the scriptures and I heard a lot of these things, I thought, well, if you yank that out of context, it can say a lot of things. If I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to give me what I want. That's not what that scripture says. If I'm finding joy in the Lord, if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, he gives me his heart to, to be my desires. Commit your way to him, to the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. And finally, verse 6 and 7. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret. And just turn the page to verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered or established by the Lord. And he delights in his way every detail of life. And here's my personal testimony, verses 24 and 25. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down. Any of us say amen? Praise God. <laughs> we fall, but we're not utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Praise God. I have been young, and now I am old. And yet, I've not seen the Lord's righteous, the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. God is faithful. God is faithful. So now turn with me, if you would please, to Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts, as you know, is the narrative in the New Testament written uh, speaking of the things that Jesus continued to do after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The four Gospels cover his ministry life. But the book of Acts records for us the working of the Holy Spirit, the continuing work of Jesus Christ, recorded for us in the first generation of the church. Not all the detail by any means. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we are given the outline that as we have the Holy Spirit come upon us, we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And actually, the book of Acts records that spreading of the gospel in the first generation. Going through primarily Peter at the, beginning of the New at the beginning of the book of Acts in Jerusalem and other places, Judea. And then being transferred to a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. We have his missionary journeys recorded for us. From about chapter 8, we, we are introduced to Saul and... Uh, we see his missionary journeys beginning in chapter 13 to the, end of the, to the end of the book. But there's another character in the Bible that we don't know a great deal about in the church that I want to focus our lens on, the lens of Scripture. We're going to look at his life, and not so much the events surrounding his life, but his life from his perspective. I know you are very well taught. Your pastor teaches you the doctrine. You're in second... Corinthians right now, he teaches you how to handle accurately, to rightly divide the word of truth. I just want to bring a reminder to you. When we read narratives, when we read stories of people, we often know what's on the next page, don't we? 
And so we read the story knowing what's coming next. But as we read this morning, I'd like you to remember, put yourself in the life of the character who does not know what's happening next. Because there's a great deal that the Lord wants to show us in this study of Philip. It could take hours. I will finish in 45 minutes. I may not be done, but I will finish because I respect the children's ministry. And I know you want to get to lunch. But something to consider. In Acts chapter 6, the church in Jerusalem is a couple of years old. He's setting for you a timeline so that whether we are young or whether we are old, we can see ourselves in the life of this, of this man, Philip. Jesus Christ has been buried, raised from the dead, and ascended maybe two years or so. The church is young. It's younger than the church here. It is just getting started. The apostles have only been Christians or known Jesus for four or five, six years. And many of those, as the church is growing, as the Lord is assembling his body, they are very, very young in the Lord. And I want us to keep that in mind because God can use each one of us and wants to use each one of us no matter where we are in our walk with him, whether we are young or whether we are old. He wants to use us for his glory. So in Acts chapter 6, the church has been growing because the foundations of the church have been established well. They've continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Sounds like the church of North Country, is this North Country or Watertown, right? North, North Country. Yeah, Calvary Chapel, North Country. This is the foundation of your faith, isn't it? We continue steadfastly in the teaching of God's word, in fellowship, having all things in common, in the breaking of bread, the things that are, that are absolutely foundational to our faith, remembering from whom we have learned Christ and following him, and in prayers. This is what established the church in Jerusalem, and God honored that work. And after a couple of years, Statistically, the church has become larger than the capacity to serve well. It doesn't matter what the number is. The fact is there's work that needs to be done for the body of Christ, and it's not always being done well. Have you noticed that happens? And I like the way they handled it. Because they didn't get together and complain to one another and start division. Well, let's read chapter 6, verse 1. In these days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. The welfare system was, was established by the church, and those who were in need, the widows who were in need, received what they needed for the day or for their provision, and somehow the presumption was or the accusation was that some women who were from a Jewish bend, a Jewish background, were being treated with more favor than those who were from a more secular background. Whether it was true or not isn't the issue right now, but I like what they did. They didn't just complain about it. They brought it to the leaders and said, we need to address it. Good. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. And they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
They're going to run their race. Therefore, brethren, verse 3, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and five other men, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. We don't know much about those guys. They were set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. The result in verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Three times in these first seven verses, we see the word disciple. It was a normal word in in the first uh, century church. A disciple was not just somebody who gave mental assent to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but followed hard after him. We want to be disciples. Amen? We grow up in a country that is a Christian country, culturally, at least I did. And I considered myself, although I didn't know Christ, I considered myself a Christian because, after all, I was an American. I went to church once in a while. I must be a Christian. Almost like you're a member of the Rotary Club or the Moose or the Elks or something. But the reality is being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a member of his church, is to be wholly committed to him. And as there was commitment to him and the church grew, there were problems that also grew with it. That's not uncommon in a church. But I love the way they solved the problem. They went to the leaders, they went to the elders, the, the apostles, and said, we have, we have a problem here. And the apostles said, well, choose out from among you seven men of good reputation. This is not our responsibility to do. We know our responsibility. You choose out from among you seven men of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, and we'll appoint them to be over this practical ministry. If you take notes or if you're just thinking of something, uh, of, of how to apply this, I want you to know that practical ministry is spiritual. You notice that? He didn't say, go find people who know, know how to cut slabs of bread exactly equal so everybody gets the fair share. He said, no, no, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom to know how to minister the practical things. I love that. Seek out from among you. Not from outside, but from among you. Known by you. The church should be functioning as a body, connected one to another. Men of good reputation. That means that they are a good witness. Not that they are only men of integrity or people of integrity, but they have a witness, a desire to just let their light so shine before men. That when they see their good works, they will glorify their Father in heaven. Jesus told us that we were the light of the world, didn't he? He said, you are the light of the world. That's what we should do. And even in the church. Filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you are able to exercise one gift or another. It means that you have a spirit-controlled life and you yield your ministry to God's leading. Not your ambitions or my ambitions. 
and filled with wisdom, filled with wisdom, the practical skills, the tact necessary. And what I like about this is as they chose these seven men, Philip being one of them, they were willing to accept the responsibility that was given to them, and they were faithful in doing that. Now, we don't know a lot about what happened with these men. Church history doesn't record everything that happened. We know about Stephen because we read of his short life, don't we? As he, as he is filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, he is an apologist, a defender of the faith, and actually he gave his life. We read that in Acts chapter 7. We're not going to look at Stephen's life. The other five men besides Philip we know nothing about. But I believe they just continued to serve the Lord. It's just not recorded for us in Scripture. We'll find out in heaven what God had for them to do. And I trust they were faithful and settled in their ministry. As I believe, Philip would have been settled in his ministry. Not reading into it, but noting the times in which, we, in which they were living, Philip is a young believer. He's maybe known the Lord for a couple years. That's it. And yet he is given a position of responsibility within the church, and he's faithful in taking care of that. Again, we don't know what the next chapter holds. I don't think Philip has any ambitions for ministry. I can hardly wait till I get to the next place. Because at that time, Jerusalem was where the church was, set and settled and serving. But God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we want to be settled in what God has called us to do or where he's called us to go. And God sometimes has other plans in mind. We might call them bends in the road. And at the end of Acts chapter 7, turn there with me if you would, please. Philip is, I'm sure, doing the practical work of the ministry, and the church is continuing to be healthy and to thrive. It's not perfect, but it's growing, and, it's, and, and there's a harmony and a desire for things to go. The Lord has a greater work than Jerusalem in mind, and he's going to use persecution to cause that work to go, to grow. As Stephen is giving up his life in Acts chapter 7, at the end of Acts chapter 7, in front of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, we know him to become Paul the Apostle. He is not the object of our study. As he, as he dies before Saul of Tarsus and says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. When he said this, he fell asleep. And I think Saul of Tarsus was, Tarsus was just going berserk. Because as we know of his life, he was zealous for God, but not with understanding. He thought the greatest threat to true religion, the true worship of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God was this cult called Christianity, called the way. And so he is just full on for God as he believes God to be, and he becomes a tremendous persecutor of the church, doesn't he? We know the story, but let's read Acts chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. I'm sure much of it instigated by Saul. And they, the disciples, the church, were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They remained. 
The devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. That's all we know of Stephen. It's all written there, and we have Stephen's testimony. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The church was scattered because of persecution. God is allowing this persecution in the church, in the lives of some people in the church, because he has something in mind, something we would never consider. And that is through persecution, church growth. We like things smooth, don't we? Don't you just like a smooth path and a straight line? I do. Am I the only one? No, we, we like it that way. And God says, well, we're, heaven is our home, and we're going to get there, and, and, and I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth, and my thoughts towards you are for good and not for evil. But guess what? There's a bend in the road, and it might be bumpy, but I'm in it. But when we look backwards, we can see God was in it. When we're going through it, we're not so sure. Isn't that true? Well, put yourself again in Philip's sandals. But I love the fact that they were true disciples because everywhere they went, they preached the word. They didn't hide their faith under a bushel because of persecution. They were freely sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 8, we pick up Philip once again. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. The multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Wow. The gospel coming to Samaria. Coming to Samaria. And Philip being used for it. Again, Philip's a couple years old in the Lord. He's been working in the cafeteria line to make sure that the, that the widows, the ladies, are getting their proper distribution. That's his ministry in the church. Not a pastor, hasn't gone to Bible school, hasn't been ordained, none of those things that we recognize as equipping. And yet he's all in for the Lord. He knows what he knows, and he hears from the Lord. And that's all we need to do is hear from the Lord and grow in grace and knowledge of him. Amen? And so, he went to Samaria, and he preached Christ. He was faithful to share the gospel. And the Lord accompanied Philip's testimony with signs and wonders which gave evidence that his words were true. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. God confirmed. And lives were changed. There was great joy in that city. I find that pretty fascinating because, of course, as you remember, during the life of Christ, they went through Samaria also. And uh, there was one time they went into the city and they wouldn't, because Samaritans have nothing to do with Jews, they wouldn't be kind to them. And, of course, the apostles, James and John, I think, said to Jesus, let's call down fire and nuke these guys. <laughs> you know? You don't know what mind you are of. That's not the thing that we do. Remember the woman at the well. Jesus ministered to the need. Here Philip ministered Christ. And they believed. 
See, there will always be those that the Lord has brought us to relate to, to be an influence in their lives. Whether it's just in passing or whether it's longer term, sitting at the cubicle next to the person that, we, that the Lord wants us to speak to. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord has in mind in any of those lives. I know this, that we're called to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, with meekness and with fear. We're to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We're to be ready in season and out of season, not to share Calvary Chapel, not to share the radio, share the effect that Calvary Chapel and the radio are for Jesus Christ, share Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Some will go, and they won't like it a bit, and you won't, won't talk to you again. Others will oppose you violently. That's what happens, isn't it? They, want, they, will, they will mock. They will persecute. Some places in the world, that persecution is very, very violent and life-threatening. Other places, it's just mocking, laughter, whatever. Others, however, they will recognize the truth. And we need to preach the word. We need to proclaim the truth of God's word, Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Philip preached Christ. He knew the word of God. Young believer shared what he knew. There was great joy. In a sense, the Lord built a church around him. He didn't go there to plant a church. I don't know what caused him to go to Samaria. We don't know. Doubtful that he had relatives there because he would have been a Jewish believer in Jerusalem. I don't know why he ended up there. I don't know why Pastor Corey ended up in Watertown, all the details. I don't know why Jane and I ended up in Gainesville, all the details. We know what we think we know, but we have no idea what we don't know. I don't know why we're where we are, but if God is directing our steps, we are to be faithful where he has placed us. Amen? And he has directed our steps. We read that in Psalm 37. We read that in Proverbs 3. The Lord is on the throne, and he directs our steps. He doesn't ask us if we think it's a good idea. He just says, this is what you do, and we're faithful. As we are faithful, he works. And that's what's happening here. Well, there was a certain man named Simon, and we know him to be Simon the sorcerer, and he was, uh, uh, he was not a true believer, although he was even baptized. We will find out as Peter speaks to him that he, he, his heart was not right before God. But drop down with me, if you would, please, to verse 14. As the church is growing up around, around uh, our friend Philip, not sent to plant a church, but he shared his faith and God grew around him. People who responded, there was great joy in the city. Many were baptized, which was an expression of their faith. And God, we would say, he built a church around Philip. And Philip finds himself with responsibility, not as a deacon serving food, but spiritually serving food. We might call it a pastoral call. And God was equipping him. And God was using him. And word got back to Jerusalem that Samaria had received the word of God. And they sent Peter and John to them. I don't think they went necessarily skeptically, but they went with a sense of responsibility to make sure that what was being told them was actually true, that the true gospel was going forward, that the work was 
was maintaining a purity because the work needs to be pure for it to be effective. Amen? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? The work needs to be pure. And sometimes God purifies. So they show up in Samaria. Peter and John. Think of being Philip. Peter and John, these are the heavy hitters, right? These are the apostles. These are the leaders, the teachers, the originators, the founders of the church in Jerusalem. And here is Philip in Samaria, a young believer. God is doing great things around him. He probably doesn't have any clue a lot of things that are happening, but God's doing great things. And here comes Peter and John. Whoa. When they looked, they saw a good work. But they also saw that something needed to be addressed. Let's read When they had come down, verse 15, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is not salvation. This is empowering to serve. Vibrancy, dynamic, so that as a a ministry, the church and individuals in the church can can actually be a witness to those around them. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by programs but by the Holy Spirit may be working through the programs. Because it tells me in verse 16, as yet he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. The Holy Spirit had already dwelt within them. After all, there was great joy. And when we come to know the Lord, although our circumstances may not change, we do have joy, don't we? Joy that's not based on circumstance, but it's based upon God's life in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And they had that. But as yet, the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them. That was something that was needed still. And so, we have a picture here, one of many places in the book of Acts, where what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the power of the Holy Spirit, will come and, and, and fall upon a group of people for God's glory, for his service. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus, and They laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. A dynamic would be in the church. It would be awesome, filled with joy, filled with power. In a a heathen world around them, there was a light shining brightly. Sounds to me like Calvary Chapel of the North Country. Doesn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Don't we want it to be that? That's what we are to be. Well, Philip, uh, Philip is, in a sense, I believe, given kind of a sense of, uh, of authenticity or you're doing a good job. We're not going to send somebody to replace you. You know, you just keep up the good work. And uh, Simon the sorcerer was dealt with by Peter. Praise the Lord. Peter and John head back to Jerusalem, and Philip is left with good church a healthy church Lord you're so good I don't even know all the things I don't know but what I know Lord is you are good look what you've done you've birthed a work around me people love you they look to me to give to them what they don't know that I do I'm discipling people in the word wonderful things are happening the Holy Spirit is moving Lord, I love you. Samaria is so great. 
I'll stay here forever. I have no doubt Philip probably had that kind of a sense. I would. I have in seasons of life past. It's like, Lord, this is good. Let's just stay here and serve you full time. Let's just do it. Have you ever felt that? Well, you may feel like that someday. You may feel like that now. I'm not saying we must move or we must stay, but we must hear from the Lord. Amen? Because as he's gone to Samaria, he's been faithful to share. God is working. Jerusalem's praying for him. Verse 26. Now. Now. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Saying. If you underline in your Bible. I encourage you. Underline in your Bible. Make it your own. Don't let it just be ink on paper. I love to underline in my Bible. I love to make little notes or put dates down to remind me of God's faithfulness. This is, that's what this book is for me. And I, I circled some of the, some of the uh, commands that were given to Philip and his response. Because it's pretty interesting if we think about it. Boy, I want to be like Philip. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go. Get up and go. Toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and then Luke records for us, just in case you don't know, this is the middle of nowhere. There's two roads to get to Egypt, and this is the worst, this is the, 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 the least traveled. This is desert. There are no 7 Elevens, no Panera Breads. There ain't nothing between here and there. This is desert. There have been seasons in my life where I think the Lord has told me what he had for me to do or something to prepare for or something. Not necessarily violently different than what I'm doing, but I've taken what the Lord has said as a suggestion to consider. I know nobody here has ever done that. I love Philip. He's young in the Lord, but he's all in for the Lord. So. Philip, I want you to leave. I know you left Jerusalem out of persecution. You were serving. It was a great church. Things were great, but now you're in Samaria. God's done a great work around you. He's got a great future for you. Oh, by the way, now get up and go to the desert. Remember, we don't know what's next. He doesn't know what's next. He just got up and went. Isn't that amazing? Don't you find Philip to be a pretty amazing character so far? An angel of the Lord speaks to him, and I don't know how he spoke. doesn't matter how he spoke. He knew it was the Lord's direction, and he didn't say, well, can I consider that? Let me make some plans. He got up and went. Amazing. But we know the story. Verse 27, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, he was a God-seeker, was returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I've never seen a book, or not, not a book, I've never seen a movie on this event. But picture this for what it would be. An Ethiopian eunuch, 
a government official of very, very high authority has traveled to a foreign land, he's not by himself. He's traveling with an entourage. Some of you might know what that is, to be security around an important person to take them. When, when somebody from our country represents our country and goes to a foreign land, there are dozens, maybe even hundreds of people that are surrounding them to support them, to take care of them, to make sure nobody gets to them who shouldn't get to them. That's what's going on here. This Ethiopian eunuch, government official, had gone to Jerusalem wanting to worship. He was a God seeker. He did not find what he was looking for in Jerusalem. I think he probably went to the temple because he had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading it. He had the word of God, but he had no idea what it meant. Now, we have the scroll of Isaiah here too, don't we? Or on your electronics. We, we've got it. But the scroll of Isaiah at that time, if you, if you go to Jerusalem, they have a museum with some of the Dead Sea Scrolls that are there. And the whole book of Isaiah, the, all 66 chapters of Isaiah is written on 17 parchments tied together in this, in this uh, uh, climate-controlled environment. It is 55, no, I wrote this down. 24 feet long, 11 inches wide, 54 columns, with no chapter and verse divisions. Think about that for a moment. I can say to you, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, and we're there, right? Imagine it if you don't have any chapter or verse divisions, and I say, turn to where it says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I don't know about you, but I would struggle finding it. I've had this Bible for over 30 years. I don't know where things are. If somebody says, where is that found? I'm like, oh, it's in one of the major prophets on the right-hand side of the page about halfway down. You know, I think I can find it if you give me some time. Here's my point. This man had the word of God but did not know what it said. In this world, many people have the word of God broadcast over the airwaves growing up with it as a child, culturally understanding what the Christian faith is all about, but they have no clue. They need someone to explain. Let's read on. The Spirit said to Philip, I don't know how he spoke to him, go near and overtake this chariot. All right, I'm a Jewish boy with a long beard and flowing robes. I'm in the middle of the desert all by myself and I'm gonna to run towards somebody who is second or third in power in a, in a, of a foreign country who is surrounded by his entourage. What are the chances of me getting to that guy? I think there are a lot of guys who would be wearing you know, suits packing, up, packing that would take me out before I'd get there today, don't you? But the Lord goes before us and he goes before him here. And so Philip goes to him. He runs to him. He doesn't just say, well, I'm going to kind of wait till he passes by and yell out. No, he ran to him. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said to him, do you have any idea what you're reading? That's pretty cheeky, isn't it? 
I mean, think of this. Do you have any idea what you're reading? Put yourself in this story. This is just absolutely incredible. And, but because God has gone before us, he said, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? Come on up here. Sit by me. Philip did not say, just a moment. Might take a little while, but let me go get Peter for you. He can answer all your questions. He didn't do that, did he? He got up and he sat down, and this is what they read. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? His life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, asked, he said, I ask you, who is he writing about? Is he writing about his own life? Is he writing about some, uh, some other man? And notice verse 35, and I'd encourage you to circle the number 35 in your Bible and commit this to your own heart. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Christ to him. I'm not a Bible scholar. Your pastor's a brilliant Bible scholar. He's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a brilliant student of the scriptures. Some of us have a bend to be more scholarly than others, but we all should be able to search the scriptures, know what God says, and be able to share it with others because the Holy Spirit dwells within. Amen? And this man, Philip, as God is opening the door of opportunity for him to, to find, to reach, and to speak to this Ethiopian eunuch, he is faithful, not having any clue what's ahead. So he preaches Christ to him. I'm going to be a natural man because I am too often. I'm going to put myself in Philip's shoes. At what we know about Philip's life, I can go, ah, Lord, I know what you're doing. You want to start a church in Ethiopia, and I'm your guy. Obviously, I'm your guy. I mean, you've led me to somebody who's, he's a pretty big wig. He can probably find us a building to meet in. And I'll bet if he sends out invitations, everybody will come. Am I the only person who would think like that? Lord, I see what you're doing. Yeah. That's not what the Lord was doing. He has something in Ethiopia, but Philip's not the man. We don't know what it is. It's not recorded. So Philip shares with him, preaches Jesus with him. As they go down the road, they come to some water, and the eunuch says, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip just basically says, if you truly believe that Jesus has died and rose again, if you really do truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you may. You may be baptized. It's not a matter of the, the, the traditions that one church or another has. You can express your faith this way. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stop. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. He baptized him there. And again, I'm just wondering if I'm Philip. Okay, Lord, where do we go now? I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I'm not going back to Samaria. I have a, I'm not on foot. I'm in a limousine riding to Ethiopia with a, with a very important person who looks to me as knowing what he doesn't know. I see what you're doing, Lord. And the Lord goes, whoop drops him 40 miles away. Let's read. 
When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. We don't know anything else. Lots of extra biblical things. Ethiopia is a Christian country in many ways. I was there last year. But following Philip, look at verse 40. Philip was found at Azotus, about 40 miles away. How's that for a snatch? Wow. Passing through Azotus, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea is on the, on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a seaport. Review with me now. Philip has known the Lord for some amount of time. He's all in, and God has used him pretty greatly. Hasn't he? It's been neat. Now he falls off the pages of the book of Acts, much like we might fall off the pages of other people's understanding of what's going on. But the Lord knows what he's doing. And the attention of the book of Acts is turned towards Saul of Tarsus and his conversion, and he and Peter both ministering, and then finally uh, Saul of Tarsus going to Antioch to teach there with Barnabas before the first missionary journey is sent out in chapter 13. That's about 10 years later. And turn with me, if you would, please, to chapter 21. Chapter 21. Because we're going to pick up Philip again. And when you turn from chapter 8 to chapter 21, you have probably moved about 20 to 22 years. Long time. And a lot has happened in Caesarea, but Philip has not been recorded as being involved in it, including the, including the, uh, uh, the conversion of, the, of uh, Cornelius the centurion in Acts chapter 10. God does not work very efficiently. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? God, there's somebody here and God sends somebody else. You're settled here and God sends you somewhere else. God's ways are not our ways lot higher. Well, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem with a gift. Acts is written in chronological order. There's a lot left out, but it's written in chronological order. Paul, the apostle, has started churches, been a missionary, trained up young men and women. When Timothy was joined with Paul on his second missionary journey, he might not have been any older than your young teenagers. He was probably in his early teens. And he went on a missionary journey with Paul and never went back to the city he came from. Interesting. God can use us when we're young. And he can use us when we're old. I love that. Well, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and they stop at Caesarea, which is a seaport. In verse 7, Luke is writing, When we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus. We greeted the brethren. They always like to speak with the brethren who were established there. On the next day, we who were Paul's companion departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. Now, just in case we don't get confused, this Philip the Evangelist, he tells us he was one of the seven back in Acts chapter 6. It's been about 25 years, more or less. And what do we know about Philip? Well, he's an evangelist. He shares his faith, likely involved in church if there is one, might even be the pastor. We don't know. 
He's a family man. Now he is married, has a house, and four virgin daughters who prophesy. Doesn't sound to me like that's a very important part of the ministry. Oh, yeah. It's a huge part of the ministry, isn't it? My mind does strange things when I read scripture, and I, I've got to tell you, I, I just wonder what it must have been like for Philip to see Saul of Tarsus after 25 years. Can you imagine the rambling around in your brain because he was after me to kill me last time I saw him? We haven't seen each other. We might not even have heard much about each other because Caesarea is not on Paul's missionary journeys other than a seaport. I can only imagine what that must have been. Wow. And so they stayed at Philip's house. He's hosting missionaries as they come by. Different season of life, isn't it, than going to the desert and preaching to government officials from a foreign land. Different than being back home at the beginning of the church and watching God do great things as thousands come to the Lord in, in, in evangelistic teachings through Peter and Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. Different than seeing God birth a church in Samaria that I didn't even want to start. I didn't know anything about And yet God did a marvelous work. And all we know about this guy is he lives in Caesarea. He shares his faith and he's a family man. Still pretty good though, isn't it? God's directing his steps. I have two minutes and one more verse. Acts chapter 24. Remember I told you from Acts chapter uh, 8 to Acts chapter 21 is about 22, 25 years, somewhere in there. From Acts chapter 21 to Acts chapter 24 is just a couple weeks. And Paul is now back in Caesarea as a prisoner of Rome. You remember, Paul goes to Jerusalem to worship, and while he's in the temple, there were some charges brought against him that he brought a Gentile in and caused an uproar, and the Roman guard rescued him and then arrested him, and then he appealed to Caesar, and so he's on his way to, uh, to, to uh, the governor there in Caesarea to protect Paul from the Jews, and he comes as a prisoner to Caesarea. And he will stand before this, this uh, king. He will stand before this guy by the name of Felix, who was the Roman, the Roman uh, governor of that region. And he will give a defense before this Felix, uh, charges brought against him by the Jews. That's not the point. Felix doesn't know what to do with him. So he doesn't let him go, but he also knows that he's really not guilty, and he doesn't really want to deal with him very much. So look with me here at verse 22. As Paul listened to the, uh, the back and forth of the speaker for the Jews and for Paul, when Felix heard those things, these things, having a more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings, and he said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I'm going to make a, I'll, I'll make a decision on your case then. We know it'll be two years, and he won't make a decision. But here's the point, verse 23. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty 
doesn't mean he's free to walk in the city. It just means that he's free to have people come and go, minister to his needs, and, and visit with him. He told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Now, I don't know who all is traveling with Paul as a prisoner. Might be Silas, might be Timothy, certainly is Luke. But none of those people are from Caesarea. They don't know where the local Holiday Inn is. They don't know where the Tops is or the price check or what, what grocery stores do you have here? Price chopper, you know. They don't know where to go to Kohl's to buy Paul a new robe if he needs one because he's getting cold. They don't know where Staples is so he can get some office supplies and write some letters. They know nothing. Who in Caesarea do you think knows all those things? Might be Philip. Now, it doesn't mention his name here. But I, I'm kind of firmly convinced that God doesn't waste any detail. He doesn't mention Philip by name, but I wouldn't doubt it if Mrs. Philip was making falafel for, Peter, for, for Paul and his friends for a couple of years. I wouldn't doubt it if he was, for them, a security as Paul was in prison. Be that as it may, I don't know. But here's what I do know as we close. That God knows every season of our life. And he's mapped it out. And we don't always see it. This side of heaven, we may never see some things. There are some things we only see as we look in the rearview mirror and we see the twists and the turns and we say, I couldn't have gotten here unless I had made those three turns. So whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want to, I want to ask you to do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your steps. And I was young. Now I'm old. I've never seen the Lord's forsaken or his seed begging bread. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer.